Hey everyone, I'm here at the Open Source Summit in Dublin, Ireland, and I have a little news for you. For the past several weeks, we've been talking to founders. As you well know, we're doing this Tech Founder Odyssey series. Well, now we have some new hosts. Colleen Call and Heather Jocelyn are taking the reins and they're gonna be doing the interviews. They have a great style, very much down to earth, interviews with people who are telling their stories about being founders. These are people who are engineers by background, software developers, people who really have stories to tell about how they came to where they are today. So check it out, the Tech Founder Odyssey series on the new Stack Bankers with Heather Jocelyn and Colleen Cole. You're listening to the New Stack Makers, a podcast made for people who develop, deploy, and manage at scale software. For more conversations and articles, go to thenewstack.io. All right, now on with the show. Hi, and welcome back to the New Stack's latest podcast series, the Tech Founder Odyssey in which we speak with some of the most interesting tech startup creators in the cloud-native industry. I'm Colleen Call of the New Stack with co-host Heather Jocelyn. Heather, how you doing? Hey, hey Colleen. <laughs> Today we have the pleasure to talk with Brian Douglas, founder and CEO of OpenSauced. OpenSauced is an open-source intelligence platform available for developers who have an interest in contributing to open-source and he founded it this year. We'll be asking Brian about the process of starting Open Sauce and how his journey has unfolded. But to set the stage, Brian has a history of advocacy for open source and breaking its barriers and gates so anyone can be awesome in open source. His startup began as a side project when he was director of developer advocacy at GitHub, and he also led developer relations and front-end development teams at Netlify. Brian, welcome, and thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for having me. Long-time reader of the new stack and happy to be on the podcast. That's awesome. Now, tell us more about your roots in technology. I mean, what brought technology to you when you were a kid? Uh, what was your first computer? Yeah, yeah, first computer, man. I think I had a Packard Bell. Is like the, the thing I really cut my teeth on doing like Encarta, like Windows 95. But honestly, like we had a community, like uh, in my apartment complex, we had a community center. I don't know what computer was in there, but it ran <laughs> DOS. And uh, so I got like I got to touch a computer pretty early in life and got to play like Wolfenstein and eventually Doom and Duke Nukem and stuff like that. So that that was my first sort of like touch of a computer and actually knew what I was actually doing. Oh, that's fantastic. But we noticed that in your Twitter feed, B-Dougie-Y-O, or is it? B-Dougie-Yo? B-Dougie-Yo, yes. <laughs> I like that. You have, a, you have the following tweet pinned to your account. Life update. I'm working on open source full-time starting today, dated June 10th this year. What was it like coming to a full stop uh, with be, uh, being an, an employee to CEO? Yeah, it, I mean, it was um, nerve-wracking. You know, GitHub is <laughs> a great company to work for. It's a great job. I got to t talk to like the... The most prominent engineers in, in the space got to talk about, like, talk to all the top open source project maintainers about GitHub and what features were missing, got to work on features like GitHub Actions, Codespaces, Copilot, was there for all those those features to, to launch. Uh, also, with pre-Microsoft acquisition, 
it was a very cushy job. Like I, I had come from, like I mentioned, I live in an apartment complex with, I didn't have a computer. We had a computer in the community center. So like, I didn't grow up from money or like I went to a safe state school that was driving distance to work from home. So to start my own thing and like leave all that, it was a big leap, but it's something that I'm, I've got a lot of conviction and open source is the reason why like I had the job. It's the reason why I even like learned how to code. It's because people are putting out stuff out there for other people to find blog posts, libraries on GitHub, on NPM. And I want to bring more people in the fold. Like that's, that's the ultimate goal is like make open source more approachable for everyone. Where, where did you grow up? Uh, just outside of Tampa, Florida and a small town called Palm Harbor. I say that because like every now and then I run some people like I, even out here, like early Dropbox employee is from like the city over from where I grew up and it's, uh, it's always fun to run into people who, who know where I'm from. I just want to sort of backtrack a little bit. So your GitHub, you're trying to make open source more accessible. I mean, is that the, the core, you feel like that is the core problem you were trying to solve? And what 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 frustrated you about that problem and then drew you to it? Yeah, so I mean, our, our mission is empowering the best developers to work at open source. And the reason for that is like, I spent a lot of time trying to encourage folks underrepresented to contribute to open source. So at GitHub, I had the opportunity to run this program called Floss and Code. So free mm-hmm. as in Libre open source software. Uh, folks might know the acronym. Maybe maybe they, it's new to them. But we did a hack day to teach HPCU students how to contribute to open source. And the way we did that is we had maintainers in, in the room showing them their projects, giving presentations, and mm-hmm. then showing good first issues, showing how to use the product, how to, how to just like locally run it on your machine, mm-hmm. which is like the biggest hurdle for most people. It's like, I, I can use this thing, but... I didn't know I could run the development version locally, find bugs and go fix them. And like my intro into tech, like I had a finance degree, 2008, the last recession, ended up getting a sales job because finance was not hiring with people with no network. I mean, that's what I had. I had no network in finance, got the degree, decided to go into sales, did really well in sales, but I wanted to build stuff. I had always been like a copy and paster, would love doing DOS games, eventually got into MySpace, built out a pretty nice MySpace profile, if I if I could say. <laughs> but yeah, so like I, my intro was like, Someone told me, hey, you know, you could actually build stuff. You could actually build apps now. And like post web 2.0, like now people have frameworks and Rails and Django. Well, you just have to run a couple scripts and you've got a web page live and put that on Heroku or another server and you're good. And mm-hmm. that opened the world to me. It was like, I have tons of ideas. Like I love the web. I love the internet and I love building on it. And now I can build my own stuff. And I just want to bring more people in the fold. So like that was my ultimate goal is bring more people in the fold. But there definitely is an issue of like not every repo is taking contributions. No one knows where to start. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm currently spending my time talking to maintainers and companies on how to set their projects up for success and also scale their engineering teams through open source, either through hiring or just having contribution or contracting. And speaking of finance, I know it's often a struggle for founders in the beginning to seek funding and you had that background. What has it been like so far, and you're you're pretty new at this. I mean, it being founded in June, and uh, any advice seeking funding for aspiring entrepreneurs? And also notice that you have an MBA at St. Leo University in Florida. <laughs> uh, do you think it's helped you uh, as a CEO uh, give you business cred with potential funders? In short, probably no. It's a small <laughs> school. It was also close driving distance to my house. Like that's why I did it. My sales job paid for the MBA. So. <laughs> 
But I would say the skills I learned while getting the MBA has helped me tremendously in my career. So talking to that, and I'll get to the funding thing in a second. But like my first startup, like second startup I worked at was um, Netlify. I was employee number three, worked as an engineer. And because I had a business background, like in my interview, it was like very, it was like we had coffee and they were interviewing me and I was like, I didn't know what to interview. And then like right in the interview, I'm like, oh, are you all, what are you, you just meeting with all your customers? Because I was a big customer of Netlify at that point. And uh, well, I was a fr- big free customer at that point. It was not paying for the product. That, uh, but they're like, no, we actually raised funding. We're gonna, we want to hire you. And I was like, oh, cool. Um, so I ended up turning a 36, ni- 30, 60, 90 plan out for them, like off the top of my head. And like the stuff you learn going to business school, getting an MBA. Um, so I spent a lot of time like developing strategy and like doing content creation and growing, doing marketing things while also shipping front end code. And it's because I love doing it. I just, that was my background. I just happen to be writing code now. And um, so I was able to get a lot of exposure in the startup scene to eventually get a job at GitHub and then eventually start my own thing. So fundraising, like when you go into it and like, I, I didn't approach this. I bootstrapped the product open source project for the past two years at GitHub. At the point, it was like probably 300 users that were using it. Uh, we're now up to like a thousand at this point. And hopefully soon it'll be way more now that we have like proper a proper product around it. But what I'm getting at is like the the fundraising, the way I approach it is like, I just asked a couple of friends who I knew were at VCs or former colleagues at GitHub and gave them a pitch. And they gave me very strong feedback of like, ah, oh, this is not a great pitch. So I was able to like <laughs> refine the pitch and then actually figure out like, do I need to make take money? Do I need to, can I continue to just bootstrap and quit? And it just came down to, I had a, a I have a family, still have a family. And it was, I wasn't at a point where I could go, you know, work for $0 on a cool project and hope for money to come later. I'm a very conservative person when it comes to finances because I didn't have a lot growing up. So now that I have a bit more, I do take a salary and I was able to raise through some angels and former GitHub employees to who believe in me and help support this. So so you waited till you had the funding in place before you didn't just sort of leap into the unknown Sort of. Yeah, yeah. And that, that tweet that you referred to earlier, Colleen, was like, that was a day where that was my last day. Like, I had had secured funding, had a bank account for the business and made the, the leap comfortably into moving into a smaller salary, but still taking a salary. Was GitHub, when you were working on this project at GitHub, were they really supportive of it? Or did you sort of have to carve out time amongst other... Yeah, it's a good yeah, so I've always operated as a um, do first and ask for forgiveness later uh, type of attitude. <laughs> yeah. I, I learned how to code properly when I was 27 years old. So like I already had a whole career. I had grown to basically senior IT consultant, which was like staff level salesperson mm-hmm. at a large company. And so like I knew what I was doing and I had a, like a fallback plan. If like they're like, oh, yeah, sorry, you, ha- you can't work here anymore. So like my entire career, I've always carved out Fridays to be... Like I heard the whole open source Friday thing. Mm-hmm. So Fridays, Friday afternoon has always been like, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go contribute open source. I'm going to go read Stack Overflow, learn more about how to grow as a developer. It's definitely a privileged position to be in, to be like, hey, I've got a relationship with the people I'm working with. They know I'm getting my work done Monday through Thursday in half of Friday. Like I can give time to myself to learn, educate myself. And I, I encourage everyone, you should definitely have built into your week learning. It's not even just open source. It's like, go read a blog post, go read a book, like build that into your week. Because otherwise, if you're not learning, you're not growing and like eventually you get stagnant. So at GitHub, they have inside of their employment contract is a moonlight clause. So because GitHub 
is they're powered by open source and a lot of open uh, the home of open source is github so for that reason like they can't say oh everything you work on we own type of deal because like if you do open source does github own that and that it's like a weird so basically whatever you work on as long as if you're not competing directly against github uh, rebuilding github from the ground up uh, feel free to do whatever you need to do moonlight have a whole nother business i had a co-worker who was a carpenter had an entire carpenter okay. business wow. and would like I like do uh, renovations and stuff like that in houses and uh, quite a few other GitHub employees had like other things they did. So what I did starting in 2020, like I'd worked on open source pretty consistently the entire time I worked there. But two years into the job, 2020 hit and I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm at home. Guess I'm going to try. I'm going to try out streaming. Uh, so I'd stream like right, bef- right before the pandemic had started because we had we got wind of COVID, the pandemic happening because we were traveling and there was a lot of questions and like we just assume things were going to get shut down. So like in January, end of January, I started streaming twice a week on open source in the open on Twitch. And the reason for that, because I, I didn't have a job where I was full time coding. I was writing sample example projects for actions and other things at GitHub, but I wasn't on our product team. So I wanted to build a product. I wanted to keep my skills, keep them up. And like Noah was out there. So open source became that sort of platform for me to just keep learning and keep shipping code. So for two years, like I created authentication in the app and then grew a community in the discord and then eventually built features based on user feedback. So to answer your original question, like GitHub knew what I was doing. I would actually (laughs) use open source as like a platform to talk about actions. So like a lot of my DevOps and automation, like it's all built in open source's org. So I built like a um, Twitch bot. Uh, when you live stream on Twitch, the first thing you do, sort of like building your lightsaber as a Jedi, is to build a Twitch bot. And uh, I built that, hosted on Azure, powered by GitHub Actions, and it, it became my Microsoft Build Talk in 2020 and, and in 2021. So, yeah, everyone at GitHub knew what I was working on. They knew I was a pizza person. Uh, I was <laughs> coined the term Beyonce of GitHub for other reasons, but yeah. Um, <laughs> like, Beyonce of GitHub. <laughs> my role was like always to have an example ready to go, and open source became that example that sort of repo to, to pull from. One of the roles at GitHub was, I think it's labeled a ERG, and we are assuming that's the employee resource group is? Yes. Okay. And that involved your efforts to increase representation of Black employees, also while connecting Black communities to opportunities in tech. How are you leveraging this for open source? Are you using the uh, same strategy? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, and I appreciate looking at my background because I don't really get a, a lot of time to talk about my work with the Black Cats, which is, it was the first employer resource group at GitHub. So GitHub growing, like I joined when it was like almost almost 600 people and the Black Cats was the first ERG at that time. In 2017, they got started. And yeah, the focus there was like, we just wanted to make sure people had a home, like a community of belonging. If you're a black employee at GitHub, like you have a space to kind of, and it was very helpful things like 2020 during George Floyd. Like it was the community that we all supported each other during that situation. It was also, I got to work on things like the master domain default. So I was, I was part of that cohort strike team to like talk through, like, do we change the default? How do we approach this? How do we follow what Git did earlier that year? So when open source like it's always been trying to get people more in the fold. So attaching contributors to contributions to to repos, it's really easy when you already find an existing community. So like Black Girls Code, like go speak and and attend and participate in that industry or that that community and say, hey, open source is a pathway to level up your skill. Actually, in the next week, I'll be speaking with Andela, uh, which is a a place for scaling uh, talent from Africa. And uh, teaching them and training them on open source and how to get first contributions and how to like approach 
like in a way that's sustainable. So like not spammy, but approach a maintainer and say, hey, I'm interested in participating. I'm joining this community. How do I get involved? Like that's all education that just needs to be out there. And I think a lot of times with the focus of open source being so much on like, there's like the top maintainers, like you just know who they are, whether it's Python, JavaScript, .NET, like you know who the, the people who speak at the conferences all the time are. And there's room for new people to come up in the fold and hear new stories. And so in open source, like we, the, our approach right now is that we're indexing Git repos. So we, we don't have to go in like the super details of it, but like we clone and fetch and then transform the data into a relational database. And then we provide insights on top of those repos. We can also, based on the open and public Git data, can identify user IDs. And these user IDs might be like, you can find out the top 100 or the up and coming contributors in the industry based on language or framework. And that's where we're headed. So then we can attach, you can create an open source profile and have a rank or your sort of track record or resume attached to your contribution. And like, I do want to point out like open source is not the only way to get a job. It's not a place that people are using heavily to get a job. Uh, but I'm just looking to provide more exposure because yeah. at the end of the day, if you could show how skilled you are based on your contributions that you can work at the public team that supports tens of thousands of companies that rely on this open source, like that's a great thing to put on your resume or your cover letter. When you're finding people to do these talks like you are coming up with the group in Africa, do you find a lot of imposter syndrome? Because I, I was listening to one of your podcasts where that seems to be a thing, but it sounds like that you're more of a cheerleader or an advocate to almost like an open source whisperer, if you will, <laughs> to make sure that people are awesome on the internet and, and, and making open source, you know, as, as positive and just, you know, for the community's sake. Yeah. I mean, it's the, I, I, I guess I would call myself a whisperer. I feel like I was a sort of a, <laughs> I was like the champion of so many different people at GitHub. <laughs> Uh, I, I definitely, like I joked about being the Beyonce of GitHub, like my job, uh, and the reason for this, I did DevRel Con talk about how to manage community at a scale of GitHub, like at the moment, 84 million developers worldwide, like how do you even approach that? Mm -hmm. uh, it's a great problem to have. But at the end of the day, like Beyonce has a, she has a super fan group, which is called the Bayhive and, or the Beehive. Uh, and the Beehive goes to bath for Beyonce. So yeah, if Beyonce <laughs> makes a country song, like the Beehive is there supporting her country. If she starts doing the house music, which is her latest album, she has a lot of house songs. Like people are there in support. And to the point where like you cannot say bad stuff about Beyonce or the Beehive will come out and support her. So like when she had her twins, everyone had had a comment about her her body figure uh, and the Beehive will come to bat for the for that individual uh, for, for Beyonce. Uh, so like what, I, what I'm focused on is like we having strong community and having strong ties to community. Uh, whether it's Andela or whether it's the JS Foundation, like it gives us an end to find out like what are the needs. So like at the JS Foundation, they have a lot of projects that have been around for a bit like jQuery that could you still use support because it's still maintained or still ma like leveraged in large corporations. So my pitch to them, which I didn't follow through on like whether this was connected, but like they wanted to see more diversity in contribution inside of JavaScript projects. So my pitch to them is like, when you do a polyfill or you, you ship a new feature for JavaScript, why not reach the black girl's code and be like, hey, why don't you guys build something in the, 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 the temporal library, which is the date time library that came out last year. Why don't you build something based on this, on this polyfill? And then now you're one, you're educated on how JavaScript migrates features along the path. But two, now you have experts who are literally people learning how to code now are experts in cutting edge technology inside of JavaScript. 
in two years, that will be the norm. That's how you approach <laughs> JavaScript. And now you have people that in two years, now they're, they're not only educated on cutting edge features, they're educated in JavaScript in a way and mentorship directly from the people creating the language. I have a question, like the brand you mentioned before we got on here, you mentioned, talked about the pizza being your, <laughs> being part of the brand. How did you uh, sort of arrive at that, at that establishing a brand or, or deciding on what, what your brand would yeah, be? Yeah, it, it's funny. It's like the age old thing. Like if you want to start a band, you create an album art first before even like <laughs> making music. Did so not it, know I, that. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, I, I played music in, in high school and stuff like that. And like we had dreams of being like bands and, and, and <laughs> artists. And uh, you spent way more time on your, like your name and, and the logos and stuff like that. And I think it's the same thing with code and open source as well. So long story short, Dot Pizza became a TLD in 2016 or 2015. I had this project that was, I was, it was a CRM tool to track my open source contributions. It had no name. And I ended up grabbing opensauce.pizza as like a, a fun gimmicky name. And then it, it just, it attached itself to what I already had. So I have a, a ton of names for like quick side projects. Like I've got the Slaybot, which is like the Baybot. So Baybot is my original Twitch app. It's an open source bot to teach you how to build Twitch bots. And then Slaybot's the one I actually use. It's like the Baybot, but slays. Legitimately slays because it does a lot of cool things. Like when you start a repo, animations show up and said, thank you for the GitHub star. But yeah, so the, the brand pizza, it is, it is something that sticks. Uh, it's memorable. And it's not something I get a lot of pushback on. So um, yeah. I like to join conversation like this and like, yeah, I'm the pizza guy. You might not remember my my name or my handle, but you do remember pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Your so, logo is right there, right by, right beside the name. <laughs> so so the founder, the would-be founders out there, if you're collecting domain names, they will come in handy one day. <laughs> yeah. I had to get rid of a, quite a few of them because I realized <laughs> I probably won't ever use them. Uh, so if anyone wants mutualfund.io, it's, it's now available. <laughs> That's good fun. You did just start in, in June as a full-fledged company. Is anyone else working with you right now? And how do you, and if so, how do you get them, persuade them to to join you? Yeah, so I've got, at this point, five and a half people working with me. So I've got two other employees. So I, I convinced one of my friends who does YouTube content and marketing and operation project management, sort of like the jack of all trades, that's everything except coding, mm -hmm. uh, join me. And when I joined, in, when I started full time in June, and they helped run our YouTube series, which we interview, it's called the Secret Sauce. We interview open source maintainers and founders about their strategy in the open source. I've got another full time engineer based out of Alabama, Brandon Roberts, who joined me earlier this month to take off some engineering and help spread some bandwidth. And then we've got two other folks who, one is Ted, who's based out in Romania. He's been contributing to open source for a couple of years now. I had to bring him on because he just, he knows all the knowledge of the code base. I'm like, yeah, we're doing a thing. Please join. We have a designer down in Brazil as well, who I also found, I found through Twitter, through open source, and he's been helping drive some brand. And we have another person who's part-time as well, helping out to scale some brand and design stuff. It's a challenge for everybody, everyone working remotely. So many people still working remotely yeah. these days, and probably in some cases, in some companies will be for forever. But how do you build a cohesive sort of staff culture in that situation? You know, that's, that's a great question. And that's, that's something that I have, I've, I've been early at startups. So a part of that, that we're trying to do, we, we weren't hundred percent remote. We had half the team was in person at Netlify, uh, my previous employee before GitHub, but GitHub also is remote first and, and focused. That was hundred percent remote team. Yeah. We, we basically have a standing meeting. Like it, it's very clear that having an all hands sort of like, Hey, here's like, here's what happened last week. Here's the success. Here's what we failed at. Like that became like a standing meeting and it wasn't always like 
professional hoity-toity, here's slides and let's talk about metrics. It was more like, hey, how's everyone doing? Let's just make sure we, we check in once a week. And then we have some standing meetings for like just engineering. So like there's some things that were blocked on or some approaches that I thought was going to be a good approach that turns out to be tech debt two weeks into the, the product. Um, <laughs> let's, figure this, wow. let's figure this out. So yeah, we're still trying like figuring this out. We want to do like sort of in-person collaboration, like pick a city or everyone fly out. And then we have like a week of collaboration. Like those are things that really helped a lot at GitHub because GitHub, mm-hmm. there was part of one of their benefits is they call them mini summits where the entire team all flies to the same city. You have a week of planning and preparation, but also hanging out and getting those people. Because like when you're only in Slack, asynchronous communication or Slack, you don't know tone, you don't know people's sense of humor, and it becomes like opportunity for people to like rub each other the wrong way. But when you meet yeah. in person, you're like, oh, this person's actually a lot taller in person than I thought. <laughs> also, they're kind of funny. It sounds like, I mean, it sounds like it's a well-oiled machine so far from what I'm hearing. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. <laughs> but have you had any setbacks or failures connected to the journey of uh, starting open source? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a lot of like growing pains as you're sort of growing a team. Like my, my original vision is like, don't grow the team too fast. I think a lot of times startups or projects, they add more people than they can sort of manage. And I've seen this happen multiple times and friends and other companies I've seen grow. So we've been very slow to add too many people to the team, though I would love to have a bigger team. I'd love to have more engineers. So please reach out. But yeah, we do like making sure that we we hire the right people at the right time. Like I definitely have people who aren't shipping code who are working with me today. And that's mainly because I, I do know how to write code and I can fill in those gaps. But I also realize as I'm sort of driving vision and strategy and like making sure issues are open and closed and milestones are made that I can always be the one to, you know, fix that bug or ship the next feature. So I think only setbacks that we have is like trying to figure out, okay, should we really focus on revenue or should we focus on growth and adoption and community? And I think that's something that's also as an open source maintainer as well, so wearing a, another hat, like trying to get sponsorship and stuff like that is very similar to sort of raising revenue. Like what I saw at GitHub with GitHub sponsors, a lot of folks is like they found out you can join GitHub sponsors, but you also have to talk about the project and get it in front of people to actually get sponsorship. It's unfortunate because like GitHub would love to do more exposure and explore and finding and like pointing dollars to specific projects. But then GitHub becomes like a place of like they're the kingmakers or the, the royalty, divine inspiration to now these projects win, these projects don't. So GitHub's been very hands off on that approach. But it's the same thing when I'm like approaching open source. Like I love joining podcasts like this and I love like writing content and getting the story out in front of people. So that way it feels more organic and, and trying to do that stuff. So I think sort of we do have a runway because we did take some funding from angels. We also have a path to revenue. So I think the only setbacks is like, okay, like only so many months of this thing that can work out until we basically have to say we're done. Uh, so we need to figure out how we can make this sustain itself. I noticed that the uh, the pocket with well, the secret sauce, the podcast and streaming is a major, well, it seems like it's a big part of open sauce. Will you continue with that strategy, uh, uh, bring in any other employees or, or personalities uh, to help with that? I mean, it, it seems like it's it's your thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say like the content creation thing is something I really, really leaned into during the pandemic. So I started streaming. I bought a camera at the stream. And then turns out that same camera you can create YouTube videos with. So 
like I, I leaned in that heavily at GitHub. GitHub, my the developer relations team, we we took over the YouTube channel in a way that we could sustain and grow and share stories that we were doing at conferences. But the conferences stopped for like the six months into the pandemic. So we had to figure everything else out. So like, why don't we just bring people to us? Here's YouTube. So when we started open source, my vision was like, before we started shipping the new code, because we have a new platform inside sitopensauce.pizza, like we started working on that platform. But before we started, I wanted to validate the product and like go have conversations with people who would be users and contributors to this. So that's what the secret sauce became is like, hey, let's just reach out to our potential customers and the people who are doing a good job in open source. Would they think open source would be valuable insight into what they're doing already? It's a behind the scenes knowledge. Essentially, every time I have an interview with someone on the secret sauce, like we turn off the cameras and I give them a demo, talk about their problems. So and I think the the one thing about starting a startup is like you don't talk to customers enough. It's you just you never talk to customers enough. Yeah. So if I can manufacture a situation where I can do something that I can do with my eyes closed, which have a conversation with somebody else who likes open source. Hmm. Um, then I could also be like, hey, <laughs> while we're here, do you want to see a quick demo of a feature or you want to see some Figma designs? So that becomes like our sort of our funnel to get more attention and conversation around what we're building to make sure we're building the right thing. So to answer your question, like we'll eventually invite other folks. I've had other engineers and stuff like that join me to chat about our product and stories about like we had a series of um, Twitter spaces where we talked about Fang and how Fang companies are ruining open source. It's a strong statement, but <laughs> it was based on a newsletter that the Pragmatic Engineer put out. Of Eventually, Google engineers get distinguished and they can't validate doing open source contributions anymore because they have to solve business needs. And eventually, the business needs separate from where open source is headed. That was the that was a summary of the conversation. What, what's next for, for your company? Yeah, that's a great question. At the time of this recording, we're a day away from Hacktoberfest starting. So we've, yeah. we've shipped our initial platform, the Insights platform, to index all of Hacktoberfest. The reason for that is I talk to DigitalOcean every year before they launch and help to make sure they're set up for success during the, the event. So that way, GitHub and DigitalOcean have a great month. Because like if there's too much spam happening, like not only DigitalOcean has like a, a problem, GitHub has a problem. So what we're doing is we're finding out insights of like, it, well, one is spam. So if anybody's spamming multiple projects, at least we can all know, sort of like a block party, which is an app to find out people who are doing bad actors inside of social platforms or DMs. At least we can all be on the same page. GitHub has spam features. If you mark them as a spammer, everyone is notified internally at GitHub, and then they get marked internally to not interact with projects. Like that's something we need to educate more maintainers to be more vocal about, like mark stuff as spam. So that's what we're going to be encouraging, but also encouraging where are contributions happening. So it's it's nice to know that projects can now opt in to Hacktoberfest, but as a first-time contributor, like where do I start? So if we can show you, hey, this project had five contributions, they're doing a great job, why don't you go start here, join their Discord, see how people are getting contributions, create a cohort. We're looking to partner with other folks like Virtual Coffee to mm -hmm. have cohorts of folks to have conversations about how to do open source. And then eventually we want to we want to share the story and like develop the story of like, I'm doing open source. How do I how do I talk about it? Like how do I share this? How do I add this to my resume? How do I present this to a prospective employer or how do I validate my current employer that I deserve a raise or I deserve more attention for the work I'm doing outside of work? Well, I'm hearing, I mean, you're having these events, a virtual coffee. Where's the pizza party? I mean, I, I expect it. <laughs> yeah, so we do have, we do have pizza parties. I, last summer, nice. before I went full time, we uh, hosted these live streams, very similar to Secret Sauce. So pizza parties are basically an opportunity for the maintainers to show all of our viewers and community members how to use their project. Because I found that as a missing piece 
like I find a cool project, but I don't know how to use it. There's no, like the readme is missing and the maintainer doesn't have bandwidth, but they do have an hour to sit with me and be like, Hey, here's a quick demo of how to use this. Here's stuff that we, here's some like good first issues. Here's documentation that's missing. People are literally cloning and like trying to use it while we're on stream and they're getting feedback and QA like on the stream. So the pizza party, that was like basically the structure. Unfortunately, I had to pause that because like live streaming with guests takes a lot of time. So hoping to to bring back the pizza parties in the future. Please do. And we're expecting our invites, right, Heather? Absolutely. Uh, So we're uh, basically winding down the interview. uh, But before we go, I mean, I I have to know this. What is your go-to style pizza and topping? Go-to. Style and toppings. Okay, (laughs) go-to. Yeah, so I'm going to be ultra specific. So I'm in Oakland. There's a pizza spot called Carbone. It's right next to the lake up in like the Grand Lake area. And uh, people who are from the Bay Area, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) But they do basically Detroit-style pizza, Ah, which is like the pan, sort of like the thick focaccia bread. They have a great mushroom and garlic pizza. My kids love it. I love it. My wife is... She's okay with it. And uh, <laughs> so it's a, it's a, it's a fan favorite here at the Douglas household. So um, that, that's my go-to. Is that Carbone, yes. Yeah. My next stop, I have to get that. Yeah. So yeah, mine is margarita. That's my go-to. <laughs> Heather, what about you? I'm basic uh, pepperoni and mushroom. That's my, that's my ideal. Okay. It's a good staple. You're really getting hungry right now, but uh, I wanted to thank <laughs> you, uh, you all for joining us on the episode of the New Stacks podcast series, the Tech Founders Odyssey. We've been talking with Brian Douglas, founder and CEO of Open Sauce, and how he created this company and what he's learned along the way. And I want to thank Heather for co-hosting with me. Absolutely. Thanks. And thank you for joining us, Brian. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Stay saucy. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and as always, thank you for listening to the News Tech, the Tech Founders Odyssey. See you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's one of the best ways you can help us grow this community, and we really appreciate your feedback. You can find the full video version of this episode on YouTube. Search for The New Stack, and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss any new videos. Thanks for joining us, and see you soon. Thank you.